Um, good morning. My name is Dave Ferguson. I'm one of the pastors here at Oak Ridge Community Church. Really happy that you're here. I'm also very happy if you're joining us remotely. You are very welcome. We're happy that you're able to participate. We're happy that you're able to worship. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, for those at home, grab your communion elements. So just as a, an, an invitation, if you're here on a Sunday and you know communion's coming up and you want to grab some of these to take to your house to use for the weeks ahead, you are more than welcome to do so. Um, we'll be celebrating communion at the end of the message. You know, I learned um, a new word. Actually, I, it wasn't a new word. It was, it was a good word that was reinforced in my memory um, this past month. I was taking an online class, and the class was about resiliency. And the, the concept of resiliency is being able to, two things. One is responding well to changes in your life. And also, not just responding well to changes, but leaning into the changes. And that's a word I think is particularly helpful uh, for the season that we're in. And it's also particularly helpful as we continue to negotiate the impact of COVID in our lives. We are believers in Jesus Christ. We ought to be resilient through His power, through His spirit, through His love, through our support for one another. We are resilient. We can respond well to changes in our circumstances. And we can look forward to the future with smiles and grace. So with that, I'd like to wish you a Merry Christmas, although I guess it's still a little bit early for that. We're not quite to that part of the year, are we? still early December, and we still have a chance to prepare our hearts for Christmas and remind ourselves of what's really important. So, of course, when we think of things that are important, we think of family and traditions and things that we want to do and how we want to spend our time. But what matters most, as we've been learning this morning and as we've been singing about this morning, is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem in a manger to Joseph and Mary, according to the prophecies of God. He was born because God loves us, because God was fulfilling His purpose for eternity. Today is our first Advent message, and it's an excellent time for us to start preparing our hearts for Christmas, if we haven't already. Maybe you've already paused in your busy schedule, and you've taken time to reflect on the meaning of Jesus and the fact that He's appeared in this world Maybe this, this morning is the first time you've sat still since Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, let's take a moment. What I want to do is I want to take a moment. This morning is going to be an extended time for us to prepare our heart, but I want to kick it off right now with a time for us just to take a moment and to be quiet and silent before the Lord in prayer. Silence is a part of worship. Silence is a part of prayer. So I'd like you to take a moment, in a moment here we're going to pray silently together, unburden yourself, cast your burdens upon the Lord, prepare yourself for His Word. Let's pray silently together. Father, we, we, we bow our hearts before you. I bow my heart before you. I order my heart before you. I tell you I love you. I tell you I trust you. I tell you I want to love you more. I want to trust you more. I desire your peace. I desire your purpose. I desire to hear your word. I desire to walk in your spirit. I desire to be united in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much 
that we can join together, whether here in this building or by remote connection, we can be united together, loving you and serving you and worshiping you. Amen. So this morning we're going to equip ourselves to get ready for the Christmas season. We're going to learn some powerful truths from God's Word in order to be better prepared to reflect and pause and take a break as we get ready for Christmas. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the meaning of the Incarnation, and then we're going to take a look at the response of different people in the Bible to Jesus coming to earth and see what implications it has for us and our life. We're going to read a decent amount of Scripture together, so keep your Bibles handy. The Incarnation. God became man. Carn means flesh. Means meat. Burrito carnitas. Get that picture out of your head now, right? Incarnate means to be put into flesh. God into flesh. You know what? When you think about it, it's a radical doctrine that we as Christians affirm and believe. Can you explain or defend that belief? Can you explain to someone why you believe this is true? Well, we're going to get some help explaining that and defending it. And we're going to get that help from none other than Jesus himself. Please turn with me to John chapter 6, verses 48, starting in verse 48. John chapter 6. Verse 48. Bear with me as I flip around. Sometimes I put little markers in my Bible. I decided today I'm just going to go freestyle. John chapter 6, verse 48. I, Jesus is speaking, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also, which I shall give for the life of the world, is my flesh. These are the words of Jesus that testify to the incarnation. These are four verses. Honestly, they're akin to drinking from a fire hose. This truth, this power, delivered from the lips of Jesus himself, is the foundation of our faith. And indeed, it's the foundation of Christmas. Let's take a quick look, just a high-level summary of some of the things that he's teaching us here. One, it's prophecy. He's affirming the, the fact that manna came down from heaven and the fact that the manna that came from heaven was a prophetic reference to him. And he's claiming that he's fulfilled that prophecy. He is the living bread from heaven. And through this gift of him being the living bread from heaven, he's saying, he's proclaiming the gift of life forever to all mankind. So in this brief passage, Jesus is affirming that he's the direct fulfillment of prophecy. He's affirming his humanity. He's affirming his deity. And he's affirming that he came as a free gift to all of mankind. This brief, concentrated truth is important stuff. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. I'll take that. Of course, in this passage, Jesus is an adult. He's explaining the significance of his incarnation. And I wanted to share this context to help us appreciate the significance of what happened in Bethlehem in a manger 30 years before that. And to appreciate the significance of what happened, we're going to take a look at the responses of the people 
in Scripture in Israel where Jesus was born. We're going to see what we can learn from them and in terms of how we can use this to prepare our own heart for the Lord. So, the political overlords of Israel at the time were the Romans. Were they looking for Jesus? No, they weren't looking for Jesus. They didn't even notice when he arrived. To them, Jewishness was a complete nuisance. The Romans are the world. They are blind to faith. They are blind to their spiritual need. And, and when it comes to being spiritual beings, there's nothing there. Now, the local, those were the Romans. They were the, they were the rulers of empire. The local political rulers were the Herodians. They weren't looking for a Messiah either, at least until the Messiah interfered with their own personal political ambitions. Herodians also represent the world, faking religion for the purpose of politics. They're dominated by their appetites. How about the observant Jews? A little more complicated, right? Many Jews were hoping for the Messiah, but it had faded into background noise for them. Maybe. Someday. And many were hoping that they would see political and worldly rescue by the Messiah. They had adopted their view of heavenly Messiah for what the world called a hero. The Romans, the Herodians, the Jews, they're pictures of the world and worldly attitudes. You know, we should be wary of adopting their attitudes, but we also should be careful about judging them. Because we were them. We were them. We were lost. We need saving Jesus that he came to seek and save the lost. We were among the lost that he came to seek and save. The world out there is still among the people he came to seek and save, and we have a mission to love them and not judge them. There are some other faith-filled response, responses. You know, strictly speaking, the wise men, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't responding at the time of Jesus' birth, were, were they? They were a couple of years later. Um, when they were talking to King Herod. But they had been seeking God. And when he spoke, they listened. They took action, they obeyed. And then eventually when they met Jesus, they worshipped him. The shepherds as well, they weren't like watching the skies, hoping to see an angel or hear, hoping to hear a word of an announcement about the Messiah. But when they were confronted by the angels, they responded with humility and they worshipped the Savior as well. The common thread for these two examples are the peoples, people who hear God's voice and obey Him and worship Him. So there's a sentence we need to hear more often, right? God spoke, I listened, and then obeyed. What a refreshing thought for our life on how to order our hearts and our lives before the Lord. There are some individuals that we're going to, that we're going to talk about, what their responses were. So Mary and Joseph, they were visited by the angels. They were told God's plan, and they yielded to God's plan and obeyed his instructions. And next, we see the unusual examples of Simeon and Anna, which we're going to read about. Simeon and Anna don't get enough love at Christmas time, so we're going to take a, a moment and we're going to read. I'm not going to put the verses up on this. These verses aren't going to be up on the screen, so I encourage you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. 
Luke chapter 2. Now I'm going to start reading in verse 25. Luke 2, 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And when, it, and when he came in the Spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God. So Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus to the temple, and Simeon takes the baby into his arms. And Simeon said, Now, Lord, let you, you can let your bondservant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. And she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayer. At that moment, she came up, began giving thanks to God, and continued to speak of him to all who were in Jerusalem, looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna were waiting expectantly for the Messiah to arrive. They were convinced that God was going to answer his promises in their lifetime. God honored their faith. And as a result, they worshiped before the Lord. John the Baptist. Wait, what? John the Baptist? What does he have to do with Christmas? Well, believe it or not, John the Baptist has a bit role in the Christmas story. And then later in his life, we see some more truth illuminated about how God used him to prepare the way of the Messiah for the world. So we're going to read some more. And we're going to, if you would, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Appreciate um, Julian making a reference to Handel's Messiah this morning. It's an inspirational, uh, it's an inspirational piece of music. Um, if you have time, put it on your put it on your listen put it on your um, listening your podcast list or your YouTube's um, wait list or something like that. Take some time and listen to it, and, and really listen to the words of that. Uh, there's so much scripture that's infused throughout it. Isaiah chapter 40. I promise you, I'm not going to try to sing this part of the Messiah. I'll just read it out loud. Chapter 40, verse one. Comfort. Oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground be made plain and the rugged terrain, a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, 
For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Sure has. These verses are part of Handel's Messiah. They seamlessly describe the arc of Jesus' purpose, the Messiah's purpose, from his entrance into the world until his final, his final return in Judgment Day, when people will see his glory. Interestingly, interestingly, the, the ministry of John the Baptist is stuck smack dab into this snapshot of eternity. John is the voice crying in the wilderness. He quotes these verses in Luke chapter 3 and John chapter 2, which we're going to look at in a little bit. The mystery of the crucifixion, now the mystery of the crucifixion and the resurrection, they're not revealed in this explicit passage. But the entire life of Jesus Christ is drawn into this passage through John's role in fulfilling it. So John is important to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. In one sense, God honors John by making John the key to tying the terrestrial into the eternal in this passage. So what can we learn? Let's take a life, let's take just a quick look at the life of John and see what we can learn. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Luke 1, 39. Now at this time, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a city of Judah. She entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Who's the baby in Elizabeth's womb? John the Baptist. Very good. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you, among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. So, a little background. So, Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. Mary's the mother of Jesus, of course. Elizabeth and Mary were pregnant at the same time. Elizabeth was six months ahead of Mary. And Elizabeth and Mary were related, and they were friends. So, naturally, when Mary found out that she was pregnant, she sent a text to Elizabeth and said, Hey, guess what? You won't believe it. I'm sorry. No, she ran over however many hills were between her house in Elizabeth's house. But you can imagine the excitement of a young woman. I'm going to have a baby. She wants to tell her good friend her and her close relative what's happening, the joyful thing that's happening in her life. Very natural and normal thing. The cool thing about this passage is that both Elizabeth and the unborn John were aware that they were in the presence of the Messiah. Elizabeth knew as soon as she heard Mary's voice, Mary hadn't said anything Mary just said, hello, Elizabeth, are you in there? And as soon as she heard the voice, Elizabeth knew that she was in the presence of the Lord. That's amazing. And it says, John the Baptist, in her womb, did a little leap for joy. And I know you mothers know what that means. Sometimes you feel a kick or a push or a wiggle. What would it feel like to have the baby do a somersault? That would be pretty amazing. Elizabeth and 
John recognized Jesus. One more passage. We'll have several more, actually, but this is the next one. John chapter 1. I misspoke earlier. It's John 1, not John 2. John chapter 1. Verse 25. Again, this is, this is advancing the clock again. This is, this is when uh, Jesus and John are both adults. John is ministering, and he says, um, and they asked him, Pharisees asked him, and said to him, why then are you not baptizing if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? John answered them and said, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and, she had, and he said, Behold, what did he say? Behold, who knows the rest of that verse. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John recognized Jesus. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who is a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Who was conceived first? John was conceived first. He says Jesus existed before him. Huh, interesting. And I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending, remaining upon him. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I am borne witness that this is the Son of God. So he didn't recognize initially. God withheld that recognition. But then he said, when you see the Holy Spirit descending on, this is the one you should proclaim. And John did that. When the Holy Spirit descended, he recognized him and proclaimed him as Messiah to the crowd. This is the point in John's life where he's clearly fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 40. He recognizes Jesus and says, this is the Messiah. One more story from John's life. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, verse 2. This is at the end of John's life. He's, he's, he's fulfilled his ministry of proclaiming Jesus and preparing the hearts of the people for Jesus. And now through a, a, a lot of circumstances, which we won't go into, he's in prison. And when he's in, in verse, chapter 11, verse 2, now when... John, in prison, heard of the works of Christ. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. And as these were going away, the crowd of people that were going away, Began to, Jesus began speaking to the multitudes about John. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not 
arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet even he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. This is a poignant scene of John in prison. Perhaps a very understandable bit of human weakness and doubt on his part. Suffering in prison, not knowing his fate, wondering if everything he's done in life is meaningless up to this point. We can relate to this when we face struggles and difficulties and things that are hard to bear. Is it worth it? What have I done with myself? What have I done with my life? In response to this question, Jesus does not offer a rebuke or a snap out of it. He very compassionately tells John, he sends a word to John that he, Jesus, is busy fulfilling Scripture and the words of prophecy. And when you think about it, I can't, think of an, I can't think of an answer that would be more satisfying to John than that. I mean, Jesus didn't say, he didn't send a, a, a note back and said, sure, yeah, I'm the one, you're good to go. He said, this is the scripture that's being fulfilled right now. And that, I'm sure, was a comfort to John's heart. And then Jesus proceeded to call, the, John wasn't there, of course, but then Jesus proceeded to call the attention of the crowd and remind them who John was and what he'd done and how he, John, had fulfilled the mission that God had given him to be the voice of one calling in the wilderness and he gave John high praise that he had fulfilled his mission and pointed out that Jesus was Savior and had successfully and accurately recognized him. So, let's tie it all together. From some of the characters, from Mary and Joseph, we see yieldedness. From Simeon and Anna, we see rejoicing. From John the Baptist, we see recognition. Recognition of his deity and recognition of his purpose here on earth. These, these three things, this is what we need to cultivate in our hearts this morning and in the weeks ahead, leading up to Christmas. These are our anchors. This is the source of our resiliency during very uncertain and irritating times. And not just irritating, but sometimes painful times. Painful because of you, maybe you've lost a job or had some bad impact. Someone in your family is sick or even died because of covid Maybe the economy's taken a downturn. Maybe you've been personally impacted by all the tension, division, and relational strife over this last year. These, this, this is our peace. This is our anchor. This is our resiliency, and we're bringing our hearts and minds back to the Lord. We know that He is present with us. And we know how to respond to him. It's a very important thing. So if you're not sure where to start this Christmas season, simple encouragement. Find a quiet place in your life. In your room, in your car, in your office, on a walk, somewhere. Find a quiet place. Review these passages that we've read refresh your mind on what's going on in the hearts and minds of all these folks. Not, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, 
Jesus and I'm sorry, Joseph and Mary and Simeon and Anna and Elizabeth and John, but also contrast that to how the world responds. Meditate on these things. This will help you draw your heart, order your heart, and quiet your heart and appreciate who Jesus is and why he came, how much he loves you, and how ready he is to meet with you. Prepare the way of the Lord in your own heart. Bring the high places down. If you feel, if you feel battered by envy or discontent or, or strife, submit that to the Lord. Cast it upon Him. Ask for His grace and strength. Bring the low places up. Foster humility. Foster love. Foster yieldedness. Foster obedience. Embrace these things. Spend time in His Word. Spend time praying. Spend time proclaiming truth to other people. Not asking you to fake it. Not asking you to be a hypocrite. Take the time you need to order your heart. But sometimes having one small tidbit of truth that you can share with someone else can make a huge difference in your outcome and your outlook in life and how your day is going. You be a proclaimer of truth to the people around you. Some of you might be saying right now, I, I can't even. I just can't do it. Things are too hard. I empathize with you. Some of you are going through things that I can't imagine. The person next to you can't imagine, or even your own family can't imagine. Some of you are suffering alone, or at least you feel like you're alone. I just want to acknowledge your feeling and your sensation of being alone. It's all too common. If that's where you find yourself now, could I suggest two things? One, reread these passages. Take a sip. Don't try to drink it all at one time. Pick one person, one example that spoke to you. Maybe not the Romans. But pick one of the positive examples that spoke to your heart. Look at that person's circumstance. How did they get to where they were at? What were their circumstances when they heard the good news? Not all of those circumstances were ideal. I mean, to be honest, life in first century Palestine was not a joy. And then some of these people had even other burdens on top of them. But take a moment, reflect on their circumstances and then reflect on their response. I understand you can't just snap your fingers and change your emotions. But you can immerse yourself in God's healing word, and you can ask for his spirit to intervene in your life. Second thing to suggest please understand that you're not alone. If you feel alone, you are not alone. You're not alone. If you can, 
take a moment before you leave and just ask someone for a word of encouragement. Before you leave here today, before you log off the Zoom, just grab someone by the shoulder. Say, hey, I need some encouragement. I need a cup of coffee together. I need a conversation, something. Ask for help. Poke someone that you know cares about you. And trust God to have a positive response from that. For others, maybe others, you're in a good spot right now, and I praise God for that. I want to ask you, can you take the same discipline, go through the same exercise of preparing your heart for, for the way, prepare your heart for the Lord? But then take an extra step and go through the people in your life, in your mind, make a list if you need to on a piece of paper. Is there anybody in your life that you know needs extra care? Is there anybody you haven't heard from for a long time? Perhaps you have. Perhaps you have some capacity to reach out and share an encouraging word and help them. Use your own spirit-filled, spirit-fueled plenty to bless those around you. That's why he gave us the spirit for many reasons, but one of the reasons he gave us the spirit is to impact the lives of people around us. So do that. Take that action. Something small is fine. So our response to Jesus should be yieldedness. Rejoicing in recognition of who he is and what he's done in this world and in our lives. The men and women who who witnessed Christ's incarnation are perfect. And And I use that word deliberately. Perfect examples of a true and healthy response to Jesus. So let's prepare the way of the Lord in our hearts by imitating them. So we are going to run short on time here, so one thing we're going to do is I'm go- we're going to celebrate communion. I'm going to briefly, if you pull up the last slide, please. We're going to celebrate communion. Please feel free to stand if you like, and while, while we do that, the band's going to come back up on the stage. And we're going to use John 6.51 as our communion reference. So Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also, which I shall give for the life of the world, is my flesh. Of course, the piece of bread represents his flesh. He doesn't reference it here, but he also says that his blood, the juice is his blood. So the bread is his flesh, which is broken for the forgiveness of sins. The juice is his blood, which cleanses us for sin. Make sure you keep the juice side pointed up when you open up the bread and drop it on the floor. That's better than having the juice come out, though. So we'll go ahead and share this together now. We'll take the bread, and then we'll go ahead and take the juice. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize, Jesus, we recognize your authority, your power, your incarnation, your deity, salvation you've offered us. Thank you that we can remember what you did for us by partaking of the bread and the juice. We, we submit ourselves to that. Lord, we desire to prepare our hearts for you in this Christmas season. We desire to be yielded to you, rejoicing before you, and recognizing you. And these things we lift up in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.